0: I asked Pastor Derek, I sort of put him on the spot and told him I'd like to sing this song, but the Lord put this uh, song in my heart last week and it's a song about Jesus and his mother Mary having a conversation before he goes to the cross. And she is saying, God, why does this have to be your will? Why do you have to go to the cross? And Jesus is telling her that this is what has to happen, this is what needs to happen.
1: Mother, do not cry for me, all of this is exactly how it's supposed to be.
0: I'm right here, can you hear my voice? tell you The yeah.
2: take your Bible and turn to John chapter 16 I want to share a couple of things with you real quick one uh, in the way of announcement uh, I did not announce this in the first service but hopefully uh, all are aware we do have combined leadership today combined leadership meeting at uh, 3 30 I believe is what it is Uh, and so that's um, all trustees all finance all deacons all staff so uh, if you can be here for that, we would appreciate it. It's important uh, that you be here for that. I also wanted to mention that uh, me and several of the men, um, uh, Brother Derek and uh, Brother Scott and Brother Chris and Brother Gabe all took part in the Jackson County Men's Advance uh, Men's Conference this weekend. And uh, it was uh, very, uh, very good. It was very encouraging and uh, very edifying. and so. Uh, I know that we talked about that a little bit, and we didn't push it real hard. I had not been to it before. Uh, It will be part of our calendar next year, so uh, it was very much worth going, and we praise the Lord for that. That's just a little testimony for you. If you've got your Bibles there to John chapter 16, I want to read one verse, and then I'm going to share some context with you, and I'll have you stand in a moment, not now, Uh, but in a moment to read today's passage. I want you to notice with me in 16, verse 1, the Lord's speaking to His disciples. And He says there, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Um, We are continuing this narrative, uh, these last few hours of our Lord's life. Uh, he has uh, concluded the Last Supper and the things that go along with it. Uh, last week, we noted that uh, that discourse on the vine. Uh, we would see the Lord through the remainder of chapter 15 and chapter 16 share very candidly, very truthfully, very plainly uh, with the disciples. He would speak to them concerning... Uh, His friendship with them. He would talk to them about the hateful world. He would warn them of trial and tribulation that would come. He would share with them truths about that comforter, that Holy Spirit of God that would come and has come and is indwelling in you if you are a born-again believer. He would share with them... uh, the need to be faithful in the face of persecution. He would exhort them to remember truth in time of tribulation. He would remind them again of that comforter because it's ever important that we embrace the Holy Spirit of God. There, there's a, even a definition of the Holy Spirit's ministry and and it is this, and you can read it for yourself later, that when he comes and he has, he will only speak of Christ and he will lead and guide us into all truth. Amen. And so we can remember truth in times of trial. He would go on to warn them of not only his suffering, but of their sorrow to come. But we would... See all of that, and then in context, the disciples speak back. And and I want to uh, point to that, and I want you to think about the, the candor, the clarity, the truth with which they have been dealt. And if you will, stand with me as we read verses 29 through 33. After all of that teaching, all of that truth, these last few hours of uh, intimacy that the Lord has spent with them, verse 29 says his disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things. And needest not that any man should ask thee, By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace." In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I want to share uh, some truths with you this morning. and I want us to pray together as we often do at this time of the service. And I want to share one uh, brief disclaimer with you. I'm very uh, passionate about the message I'm fixing to deliver to you. And I think it is very evident among believers today that we have departed some of these truths. And so, um, I want you to pray that the Lord would give me a soft spirit this morning. Um, I believe everything I'm about to say. And I believe it to be desperate that we understand it. So... Would you pray with me, ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful day. Lord, we're grateful to come together again, uh, to gather around the Word of God, to be able to do so freely and openly. Lord, we're so grateful for the time of worship and song, and now, Lord, we look forward to this time of worship in word, both spirit and truth, Lord. Lord. Father, I pray, God, as we study this morning, that you would provide for us illumination. Lord, we want to be challenged. We want to be convicted. Uh, We want to be changed. Uh, Lord, we want to be obedient. God, I pray that you would provide the means for that this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I I want you to notice, uh, to begin with, this uh, proclamation of... Directness that we hear from uh, the disciples as the Lord has been sharing with them. And uh, mind you, He's been teaching them for three plus years, but only now uh, they uh, realize that something is changing. I think they sense something is about to occur. He's been telling them uh, quite clearly that things are going to occur, but I believe they're beginning to maybe catch a little bit of the light, a little bit of the glimpse, and, and they, their, their proclamation is, oh, now you're speaking plainly. Their, their words would be without parable and without proverb. The, the idea there is that, that he is just flat out uh, exposing truth for them and they had asked him on several occasions in the past why the parables and, and why the the allegories and and there had been conversations about that but here they're sensing some direct truth and and from that direct truth uh, they are uh, able to say now we believe now now we believe now we know And we would consider the the purpose behind the Lord's dealing directly with them in this moment. And we would understand that He is attempting to prepare them for very difficult days. Days that would lay ahead immediately. They would come within hours these things would occur. And and He is seeing this kind of as uh, an opportunity to prepare them But I think they are believing this is some sort of final phase, that they're finally graduating to a place of understanding. And when they say, now we're sure, now we believe, we know the response of the Lord, and it is, do you now believe? There's almost a hint of incredulity there that that he doesn't, uh, he can't believe they have said, oh, now we believe. And probably almost as bothersome as when uh, Philip said, show us the Father. Uh, and he said, have I been so long with you that you've not figured out who I am yet? And and here he would say, uh, do you now believe? It might be better stated this way, do you believe at last? At this moment, when, when things are about to, literally come apart when things are about to be fully exposed uh, I'm going to be ripped out of your hands uh, you're going to be scattered you're going to be scared you are going to deny me I'm going to look as if I am completely alone but I'm not the Father is with me now you believe it's it's that type of atmosphere that the Lord, responds with and, and he reiterates for them in verse 32 that difficulty is coming, that that they will deny, they will run, they will be scattered. He will be left alone. He reminds them in verse 33 that, that he wants them to have peace. I've told you these things so that you might have peace. That statement, that idea of, Peace. I, that he would say to them, listen, uh, if, he could have, if he could have said it any more clearly, he would have told them detail for detail, step by step, and then he would have said to them, when that occurs, I want you to remember this conversation and have peace. Can, can, we, can we agree that peace in the midst of what they were about to witness would have been so difficult to accomplish uh, so so hard to grasp. And, and he says to them, yet I want you to have peace. It's, it's very reminiscent of that first verse, which I read to you out of chapter 16. That, that very first verse wherein he says, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. That, that word offended there, you and I would see that word used differently today than how the Lord intended it there. We think of offended today and we think of uh, feelings hurt, you know, uh, put off, uh, that you wouldn't be put off. And that's not what he was saying to them. Uh, there's, there's a stronger uh, indication there. He is saying to them that you would not be repelled, that you would not uh, rebel, that, that, that you would, uh, another uh, version says it this way, that you would be kept from stumbling, that you would be, uh, that you, that this truth, this knowledge would keep you from falling away. What he did not want is for them to see uh, the, the rank uh, hypocrisy of the religion. He did not want them to see the, the obvious betrayal of the Savior by one that they called their own brother. He did not want them to see the gruesome, crucifixion, and say to themselves, that's it. I wash my hands. Uh, this place is helpless, hopeless, and I give up. He didn't want them to do that. He didn't want them to be repelled. In fact, the Greek word there is scandalizo. It is where we get our word scandalize. It, it carries with it the idea of, of a snare or a trap or something that Causes you to stumble or trip. And the Lord is literally saying. When you see these things. Do not be scared away. But remember I told you. These things would occur. And if I told you. Just as I told you that. All of the other many things that I've told you. Those things are true as well. I want you to remember those things. And have peace. It's not unlike where we find ourselves today. You and I are not going to witness in the next few hours the dragging away of a beloved teacher and the mockery of a fake trial and the crucifixion of the literal Son of God. We're not going to see that. Uh, However, we are affronted daily with and eroding society. We are affronted daily with uh, things that we know are wrong being declared right, and things that we know are right being declared wrong. Uh, We we are worried about that. We see those things, and I would say to you that the Lord is saying, uh, when you see those things, I want you to have peace. The Lord would speak to his disciples in in such a manner, in this case, uh, very much like this. He had shared with them in such detail the things that would occur, that it would be like this. It would be like me uh, telling you that we're going to have a fire drill here at the church. And and if I could lay out for you in the most uh, graphic detail what the fire would be like how the flames would be coming from everywhere and you wouldn't know where they were from and the smoke would fill the building and it would be head high and you would not be able to breathe at your right level and, and how the lights would be flashing and the, the sirens would be going and uh, the building would be making noises and people would be running about in fear that when you see those things, then do The following, get low and get out and go to the exit and get away from the building. Christ was talking to them that way. Look, these things are going to happen, and I'm telling you they're going to happen so that when they happen, you'll buckle down, not run away, and be in peace because I am the Lord. It's it's that type of picture. I want you to notice this. This last phrase, and this is really the last sentence, is where I want to focus this morning for just a few minutes. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There are four phrases there that I want us to see. I want us to notice that the Lord would lay out for them uh, where the, the place is defined, where these things would happen. Uh, uh, the the that He says to them, it's going to happen where you are, in this world, in this cosmos, in this current system, the place into which you were born, the place into which you operate, this, this society that you see, in this place, there's going to be difficulty. This It's not that difficulty is going to be somewhere else. It's not that there's another place that you have to worry about. It's not somewhere down the road or somewhere else in some other society in this place and the place that you are in, the system, the world that you're in currently, there is going to be trouble. And we think about this place, we think about this world, and what do we know to be true about this world, this cosmos, this ordered system in which we participate? Well, we know that it's corrupt. We know that it's fraudulent. We know that it is deceitful. We know that it is wicked. We know that it is cursed. And we know that it needs to be purified. Those things are all scriptural. It's it's not cursed by a particular generation. It's not cursed by a particular, uh, I don't care for the word, but a particular race or people's group. It's not cursed by some particular uh, political party. It's not cursed by some certain denomination. Uh, It is cursed because it was cast into sin based on the rebellion of one man, and that man was Adam. It's cursed. It's not going to get better and better and better. Uh, We're not going to save it. We're not going to clean it up. We're not going to refine it. It's cursed. And the curse is going to work to a certain end. We we would come to that idea and we would recognize that it's cursed. It is, uh, Paul would say that redemption itself uh, groans waiting to witness, excuse me, creation itself groans waiting to witness the redemption. Creation, the, the world, the the planet, the, the, the terrestrial area that we stand upon is cursed. This world system is cursed. It's not going to continue to improve. In fact, the Bible would present a picture where it is going to continually degrade. It is going to continually worsen. And we would see that picture, and so we understand that, okay, there is an idea that this place is cursed, this is the world that I'm in, this is where I was placed, this is where I was born, and it needs to be purified. Well, how does that occur? Does that occur through some movement? Does it occur through some organization? Does it occur through some revolution, some revolt, some parade, some something? No. The Bible's very clear for us that this place is going to be purified, but in order for that to happen, Satan has to be removed, and he will. He's got to be removed. Oh, we know that the nation of Israel is going to have to go through a, a, a period of purification. We know that period is seven years. We know that it is going to be extreme, Uh, We know that we don't want to be here for that. We know that things are going to worsen until that occurs. We understand that during that tribulation, millions upon millions of people will die. We understand that stars will fall from the sky. Seas will rot. uh, Awful, terrible things will occur. We also understand that there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars and there will be wars fought and there will be uh, just horrible wickedness. In the world, it's all defined in the Scriptures. This is where the problem begins to come in. There are believers who are ignorant to these truths. These truths are unknown to them, and they're completely undesirable to know. Well, what, is the, what does that accomplish, or what does that create? Well, it creates in those believers a false belief dream fantasy if you will that things are going to slowly improve given enough time it's going to get better and things are going to slowly improve improve and that uh, that one day all the bad will be gone and all that would be left is good and we will all everyone all of God's children false statement live happily ever after well, when that mentality establishes itself and then things go according to the plan of a decrepit, degrading world, those individuals become discouraged, confused, disappointed and concerned, which is exactly the opposite of what the Lord said for his disciples to do, right? In this world, there's going to be trouble, and when you see the trouble, I want you to be of good cheer. I've spoken these things so, to you so that you might have peace, so you might have understanding. And so we, we have this, this picture of this degrading world and uh, the church in it, and what are we to do? Well, we are to be of good cheer, we are to have joy, and we are to attack the responsibilities given to the church. And they are very clear. Uh, it's, the good news is, if you're born again, uh, one day this thing will be cleaned up. <laughs> Uh, it'll be brand new. Uh, it'll all be fresh. And and it will be without sin. And it will be without corruption. And we will eventually live happily ever after. Uh, however you envision that. But we'll be in the presence of God for eternity. And and those things are all outlined in the Bible. But this is what we know. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And so there ought to be some motivation and there ought to be some, some encouragement when we see that going on. There is going to be, uh, uh, evil is going to be rewarded. The Bible tells us that. Good is going to be condemned. The church is going to be weakened by false teachers who are suborned and hired and paid by people who desire to hear pleasing thoughts. With itching ears, it says, there's going to be a furtherance of immorality of all kinds. We know this. We, we see it. And so when we see it in the scriptures and then we see it in life, then we have the opportunity to do as Christ would teach his disciples, render under Caesar that which is his and unto God that which is his. Okay, how do we render unto Caesar? Well, we vote, we live, and we pay our taxes. We observe the laws. That's Caesar. And we are to render unto Caesar that which is his. How do we render unto God that which is his? We live our lives in complete uh, submission and subjection to the Holy Spirit of God, seeking to accomplish the great commission for the church, which is the church's co- call in this world that we're in, no matter how bad things get. That's what we are to do. And so we should be seeking the salvation of the lost rather than uh, the salvation of the land, if you will. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, that, that, this thing is cursed, right? So we see this idea, the place, the world, the place is defined. And, and he declares the problem and it is that that you're going to have tribulation. And when the Lord states that here, in the world you shall have tribulation, uh, this is akin to a promise. He is stating a fact. We would think of a promise as something with a positive uh, inclination. And so we don't particularly want a promise that includes you're going to have trouble. Uh, however, if I'm going to have trouble, I would like to factually know that I'm going to have trouble right? And so that's what this is. The Lord is giving us a factual statement. In this world, you will have trouble. And when he says to them, you're going to have tribulation, he's speaking directly to the disciples in that day. However, he is also speaking to the church in this day because the word of God is alive. It's quick. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. He is also speaking to Israel in the coming day. This is a a living document, and he is speaking to us. And so we would say, okay, so the disciples were told that they're going to have tribulation. Uh, What did that look like for the disciples? Well, it's very easy to see. It's very clear. Historically speaking, we have a full picture of that. Every single disciple that heard this that day, with the exception of John, were martyred for their faith in gruesome ways. And John did not escape that. He just didn't die from it. Okay, And so what what tribulation looked like for them was intense persecution, poverty, very difficult things with the government heavy-handed and controlling all that came upon them. That's what it looked like for them. We can look back historically and see that. And not only for that first century church, for the first 300 years, it was brutal. And then after that, it continued to be brutal under a different name but the true believers were brutalized for it. And so we can see that and we say, okay, well that's what tribulation looks like for them. I don't want that tribulation, but that's what it looked like for them. Then we can say, well what does tribulation look like for Israel? Again, look at history. They've been everybody's whipping post. And, and in extreme ways, unspeakable ways and That is all a precursor to the actual tribulation that awaits them. It's horrible when we think about what the nation of Israel will go through. So we can say, okay, from history and from prophecy, we can see that. And then all of a sudden, all of us good Christians who see all of that, and we see all of this, and then we see a little bit of it right here, and we get whiny about it right? Oh, wait, that's not fair. Oh, that's not, oh, you can't treat me that way. That's not, I have rights, right? But he says right here, listen, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Now, admittedly, I I hope that you would agree with me. uh, Our tribulation has been minimal. Our, uh, Our affliction is minimal. I mean, it's almost embarrassing if we look around the world at how other Christians are treated to even complain but, but complain and complain we do I mean you just hang around some Christians a little bit and you'll hear it and, and we would see that and, and what we want we, we desire this idea of let's skip the tribulation part and get on to the promises of peace and comfort you know and let's just let's do that I'm in for that Lord but I don't know about this suffering aspect. And and suffering has been so poorly defined. And and so we would see that and we would say, Okay, all right, I hear you harping, I understand the tribulation was very difficult, the trials were very difficult for those disciples and that Early church, I understand that it's difficult for the church around the world. I understand that Israel is going to uh, have some even worse things down the road. So what are you telling me? What does tribulation look like for the current age Christian? Well, I want you to think about that for a moment. I've stated before, and by the way, I still believe this. I believe that we are under a pretty extreme psychological persecution as the church in America because there is so much wrong vaulted as right and right... Done away with is wrong. So there's there's an extreme psychological perspective to persecution. But I want you to also comprehend and understand that the comprehension or the uh, the tribulation, the persecution could look a lot worse. I mean, I, it's not hard to imagine pressures from government. It's very easy to see that, especially after the last couple of years. It was not hard to imagine uh, the the increased taxation against churches it's not hard to imagine cease and desist orders towards churches it's happening in uh, Canada already and some parts of the northeastern United States is happening already it's not hard to uh, uh, imagine uh, literal persecutions of a physical nature it's it's not hard to imagine uh, pressures to conform to a centrally approved dogma All of those things happened in history, all of those things are happening somewhere in the world today, and every one of those things are on the table, in my opinion, that could happen here. Now, before before I go much further, uh, I want you to think about for a moment the damage done to the local church during 2020 and 21 And imagine if the government instituted that. If the government applied that pressure, how many small churches do you think would just close up and go away? I want to tell you something. It would be shocking to you. There would be many. There are churches in this community, not particularly churches like us, and so I'm not talking about... Uh, uh, doctrinally working together I'm talking about the idea of organized religion There are churches in this community That still have not reopened Still have not reopened And, and just imagine If the government just wrenched that up A little bit That, that persecution is what we're talking about And so, so somebody would say Okay well that's why we vote Agreed This is the problem And that's why we fight that's not right. It, it's, that's where the problem becomes. I comprehend. I'm convinced, by the way, that we, I am absolutely convinced that we should vote. I'm convinced that we should vote on Christian principles. I think that there ought to be, uh, it ought to be uncompromising. Uh, for example, I'll just go ahead and make an enemy. If there's one in here, if they are not uh, pro-life, you ought not vote for them. I don't care what you think about them. I do, it does not matter. If they are pro-choice, you cannot in good Christian conscience vote for them. If their record represents that they're pro-choice, regardless of what their mouth says, you can't vote for them. That's, you can't do that in a Christian term. I mean, there's just no way. And there's other things, by the way. And, and we could go down that list, but I believe that 100%. I think we ought to be vehement about voting. I think we ought to vote our conscience. I think we ought to vote based on be- the belief that this is a Christian nation and it was founded on the principles of God, based on the long-held belief uh, uh, from the psalmist that would say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I believe that one. Million percent, you could not change my mind about it. However, when it comes to uh, uh, certain types of rallies and marches and protest and and signage and and harsh language and those things, they so quickly depart. The Christians fear that you can't possibly defend them as being Christian. And and we have this 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 massive move, and it doesn't matter. It I'm not even going to mention names, but. Uh, there is a way to vote without selling your soul to that individual and everything they stand for. Yeah. And, and what we have in the church, and it's not, just, it's not just as is relative to politics, and it's not just as is relative to now. It has to do with a national identity and a regional identity. And we put those identities above and before our identity in Christ. And it's damaging to the church. And it's damaging to the work of the church. And it is, it is debilitating to the Christian. I want you to think about this idea. Um, so, so we would say, well, we have to uh, vehemently defend our rights. Uh, and again, I agree with that, but in a Christian manner, because this is the point. I'll give you two quick examples. They're very common, but I want you to think about them in a modern aspect in a modern perspective. When you think first about the the three Hebrew boys, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then, of course, we're going to look at Daniel. I just want you to think about him for a minute. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were confronted to bow to the king, did they appeal to the king? Do you know why they didn't appeal to the king? Because he was the king, and he was the one that issued the decree. And so there was no need. There was no reason. There was no purpose in appealing to the king. There was no purpose to show themselves. There was no purpose to talk about our rights. What did they do? They said, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to your image. So you know what they did? They determined that they could not defend their faith, but they could practice their faith. Do you see that picture? Do you see that in a modern perspective? We need more people that are determined to practice their faith than less people trying to defend their faith. Daniel would have the same problem. When when Daniel was brought into issue, uh, what was the decree? The decree was from the king that no one could pray for a number of days to anybody but the king. That decree was signed. It could not be revoked. Daniel knew it couldn't be revoked. And Daniel practiced his faith anyway. When he was brought up before the king, the king was more distraught about the fact that he couldn't back up than Daniel was. Because Daniel believed that he was practicing his faith and the Lord would provide. That is the picture that we need, this idea that we're going to scrap it out and fight it out and and revolt and, and fight our way through it. It's not even Christian. We need to practice our faith rather than defend our faith. We see this picture, the place defined, the problem declared. Then look at the prompt delivered. The Lord says to them, be of good cheer. I want you to hear that uh, the way that he is stating it because it could almost sound abrasive. Uh, what he is saying to them, look, uh, this place is cursed, you're going to experience hard times, but I want you to remember the truth. When you remember the truth and experience my joy in the midst of it? Why is that? It's because it should confirm what you already know. But what should, what should our response be to the continual degradation of society and the, the, the appearance of all of this wickedness, it should be something akin to, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's what it should be. Okay, because uh, we have a responsibility. It is the Great Commission. We know these difficulties are coming, and what should we be looking for? The rapture, right? That's, that's the, 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 the response. What, what Christ was saying to them is, look, you... I've told you these things, and you've seen them come to pass, and so you can rest assured that all the other things I told you are going to come to pass too, and you can have joy. You can, you can be at peace. I, I was thinking about this over the week. Uh, you know, I grew up in the 80s, and uh, back in the 80s, we, we did a lot of... Uh, so Dad was a, a home builder, and then as soon as I could get a job, I got a job, so I wouldn't have to be around the home building aspect uh, but I just went over and worked in a garage So I you know, really moved up uh, I wanted to be a mechanic But anyway, you know I worked in a lot of blue collar work I'm a blue collar guy by nature And uh, so there used to be this this issue you, know, you tell somebody to go do something that's miserable You know, it might be Go out and hey, Go out there and dig a hole in that rock hard dirt In this 100 degree heat with that dull shovel And then we would say something like this And smile while you do it, boy <laughs> Right? Do you guys remember that? Uh, And so uh, uh, that happened a lot. I remember that going on a lot. A lot of times I was kind of the butt of that. and A lot of times I was giving it back uh, because it was just a rite of passage. That's not the the statement that the Lord's saying here. He's He's not insinuating or insisting that we're some kind of slap happy fool in the middle of of all of the things that are going on. We're not talking about happiness. We're not talking about things that happen. We're talking about joy. We're talking about a deep-seated belief and a perspective that creates a joyful perspective in our life So, because we know that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that, that God is bringing these things about to pass. He's talking about a general disposition, an overall outlook that you would not dread, but you would have fear Uh, not fear, but faith, excuse me, and that you would see the difficulties and you would see the disappointments and you would be sober about them But the prospect would be this. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is omnipresent. God is all-knowing. And He's he's warned me that these things that would happen, but He's also told me that He would protect me and that He would never leave nor forsake me. And He's shown me the future. And so I can can rest in that and be joyful that this perspective, joy, comes in the morning. And then we... have this promise divine uh i have overcome the world isn't that the best part of this statement i mean nobody wants to know that uh listen uh, the place you live is rotten and it's going to get worse that's not encouraging uh it ought to be informative, but it's not encouraging. And, and, and nobody really wants to know about, uh, hey, look, you you got uh, to have joy in the midst of real difficult situations, but uh, I have overcome the world. Well, what is so good about that, that Christ is the victor, that He is the conqueror, that He is supreme, that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that He has defeated Satan, that He has defeated the world system, death, hell, and the grave? Well, the greatest part about that is that He lives in us. Paul would say that we are uh, hyper-victorious More than conquerors. The born again believer who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God can't be defeated. Even even in martyrdom, uh, the the one martyring uh, that individual loses because at death they're in the presence of Christ. They win. It, we cannot be defeated. John would say, "Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world." Paul would say, "Listen, I was crucified with Christ, but I'm alive because Christ lives in me. We are. Uh, we we are the victor. We don't have to fight for victory. We fight from victory." We are, we have won already. It is conquered already. We should not be discouraged. Is the world sickened and cursed? It is. And and I know the powers that be are of Satan. I understand that he is the prince of the power of the air, that he's the God of this world. I know that we have to endure some seasons of suffering, but can I tell you something this morning? You know the Savior and you know the schedule. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have comfort in the midst. We should not be discouraged. We we should not be distraught. We should not be confused. We should not compromise. But we we ought to be convicted. We ought to be convinced. The Bible's right. Right. The Bible is truth. But we should be confident in God's word. And we should be emboldened for the work of the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Christ would say in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What about you today? Would you uh, consider yourself to be fearful or frightened or fretful in this world? Are you um, fighting a valiant fight, but the wrong fight indeed? Are you discouraged, doubtful? dreading the next newscast. And can I encourage you? You can be confident and you can be courageous and you can be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. I don't know your need this morning. You may be here this morning and you have not experienced that new birth. Maybe you don't have the indwelling Spirit of God. Can I tell you something, it's a terrifying place if that's the truth for you. And the future is terrifying, but you repent and believe the gospel, Christ will come into your heart and save you, fill you with the blessed Holy Spirit of God and give you this very comfort and courage that we're talking about. And maybe this morning you're a believer and you're here and you've gotten swept away in some of this and I'm guilty of that sometimes. Would you come back to the lord would you come to him looking for comfort and peace and cheer the altar's open this morning you do as the lord leads father i pray you'd bless this time of invitation and bless it in jesus name amen
1: well, one day when heaven is filled with his praises His glory revealed, living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away, rising He justified freely forever, one day He's coming. Oh, glorious day, oh, glorious day.